You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to Mountain Bike Radio. Matt from JRA here, and as I cozy up to this X7 dumpster fire, I wanted to remind everyone about the Amazon affiliate link. By going to the show notes and following the link, you will have a normal Amazon shopping experience, but at no extra cost to you, Mountain Bike Radio will receive a kickback. This goes to the day-to-day operations of Mountain Bike Radio, not the host. This keeps Mountain Bike Radio going and the podcast coming. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio, brought to you by Boom Phrasing and Phrasing Again. Phrasing taken out of context. Uh, tonight we have a rather not action-packed episode. We don't have any... We might have a question bled over from last week, uh, but we don't have an overwhelming amount of stuff to discuss. We don't have any donations to mention. And for the most part, riding has been pretty, uh, I don't know. I've been riding the trainer. On my side. <laughs> and then we have, we do have one question. So, uh, what's new in the land of Kenny? Uh, let's see. Went to. So I think we talked about it two weeks ago. We took a trip to Arkansas as a team, kind of as a bike shop, which was really fun. Um, rode the RKT on its new wheel set. I was very happy with it. Conditions were kind of, yeah, a little bit rainy, but not too bad. And then we went again this weekend, and we went to Iron Mountain this time and went with a little bit faster group of people and kind of did a little race sim lap. So just kind of tried to do a little bit faster lap at uh, Iron Mountain. Are you saying that your coworkers are slow? Yes. <laughs> no, no, they did great, but you know they're just not—they're not really racer people. Um, so, but yeah, it was uh, fun. Had a good time this weekend. RKT is great. The new wheels worked out really well. I got my little display now for my DI2, and everything kind of just works the way it should. And the bike's kind of bike's kind of finished. I don't really have cool. to mess with anything, so that's nice. I still have the Reba fork on it. I don't know where I'm going to go with that. To be honest, it performs just fine. It doesn't bother me as far as flexiness goes. I'm just going to rock it, I think. So I think it could be fun to put something shorter travel on there just because it'd be super light, like a Stepcast 32. I could take damn near an entire pound out of the bike, which yeah. would be insane. But I just don't want a 100 mil fork anymore. Uh, I might try it, but uh, I don't know. I really like the way the bike is handling and everything if i got a 100 i think it would definitely be a 46 offset but the biggest part is it's going to really it's going to get my bars a lot lower than i personally like to ride them um, you sky with, slam right yeah i mean i got uh i don't think my stuff is that crazy some people don't realize how much rise they actually run because of their proportions uh i run about four centimeters of rise on my mountain bikes and i run about three to four centimeters a drop on my road bikes and that works for me i'm very short torsoed and got kind of short arms little t-rex thing going on so i don't do well with crazy drop um it's always funny too i'm not crazy flexible but i'm also not crazy inflexible you can Uh, at least touch your knees yeah well the thing about it people always use that as reference but it's like look i've got long legs and a short torso and short arms so me touching my toes is very different than somebody with a long torso touching their toes, right? So that's why I prefer the shorter reach and shorter uh, and higher rise and all that good stuff. Long story short, I don't know if I want to give up that 20 millimeters that the longer fork gives me as far as bringing the bars up, but we'll see. I might experiment with it. Long story short, very happy with the bike. Works great. 
It's light. It's 23 and a half pounds with aluminum wheels. Um, yeah. And so far S 900 hubs have not exploded. <laughs> That's a good thing. They seem to perform a heck of a lot like 60 point engagement I nines, except they're cheaper. They don't look as cool. Engagement I nines. What's that? Yeah. That's how they're supposed to be. <laughs> they're great. Less drag, more tenacious oil. <laughs> <laughs> so the folks at i9 can please don't make upset. me get another email from i9 <laughs> everybody only use tenacious oil and take a bunch of paws out no if you if you want to be really cool only leave one single paw in oh my god can you stop <laughs> uh but that's about it for me everything is good i'm trying to think if there's any other updates i think that's about it what is everyone else doing no riding weather shitty yeah it's cold uh, we tried to ride last Tuesday, and we both fell down on the ice because it was very icy. And I have a bruise on my hip. What bikes were you riding? Uh, you know, road bikes. <laughs> ah. Well, we were trying to. It was like one of those things where here they um they plow the the bike pads really well, like snow plow. So a lot of times the bike pads are clearer than the road. As far as like the bike lanes, because the roads, like the snow, the snow on the road gets plowed into the bike lanes. And so there will be a pile of snow in the bike lane and you can't really ride. You can't ride in it at all until it melts. Um, but the bike path will be plowed. And so it's so cool. Do they have like a little baby plow? Yeah. It's like a golf cart like sized cart? plow. It's like on a, a mule. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking awesome. I want that job. Yeah. <laughs> Um, when I was at Ben's, they had a they had one of those things that had this giant street sweeper looking thing on the front, but it was just like <clears throat> it was like if a street sweeper didn't have to collect anything, so it was just uh, like the this Shooting big huge um, like broom roller was running backwards and just pushing the snow forward, and it was like clean sweeping the sidewalks going into the rec center. It was so cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so like most of the time the bike paths are really clear, so it's kind of like, well, we can gut out riding a couple of miles through the neighborhood where it's intermittently, like, I don't even want to say intermittently icy, it was intermittently not icy. Um, You know, we can ride slow for a couple of miles, and then once we're at the bike path, we're going to be like home free, and we can ride, you can ride bike paths here for miles. Like many miles, you can do a fifty-mile bike path loop, or longer. Um, That's awesome. So it's like we can gut this couple of miles out, and then get to the bike path, and we'll be okay. Well, we like gutted the couple of miles out, fell down on the ice, still got to the bike path, and the fucking bike path had like it's like it snowed really early in the morning, kind of through like mid morning, and it's like they they plowed it when it was only halfway done snowing. So it was like we – it's like, oh, we, we're almost there. We're going to make it. And then we got to the bike path, and it's like, oh, no, there's still snow and ice here. Andrea, do you remember maybe four or five years ago uh, we went out yes. and did some snow riding? Yes. Because I remember I was on my 26er, and this is after we'd been drinking a little bit, and we were like on the way home. A little bit. And I was going up that hill. And you and Matt Robbins just all both like just wrecked all over the road. And I was hauling ass like I was standing up accelerating because I thought it was the funniest thing that I could like Arab drift my bicycle 
just while pedaling like huge <laughs> amounts of rear end slide and i did it like four or five times like pretty far out and then just ate shit <laughs> yeah you and matt robbins both ate shit <laughs> like ate shit and the bike goes flying out from under me and pretty much goes all the way across the road it was awesome <laughs> yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah so we we tried to ride last tuesday and it just didn't it didn't turn out well um what was I talking about when we did like phrasing taking out of context? Oh yeah. So this is totally, um, Oh, sorry. Like I, I just ignored the fact that maybe you, we, you would still be talking. Were you finished with your week? Oh yeah, I'm finished. Okay. Um, so dude was in the shop when I got in, when I came into the shop, um, last week and he had a vapor trail hat on and his was a brown one. Uh, I didn't pay attention to which year that was. And uh, having a Vapor Trail beanie, like having that hat is like this badge of honor. How many people usually finish each year? Like 10 or 15? No, it's more than that. But it's so they they have like a vetting process for the race. Like you have to fill out an application to race it. Because there's so much, you spend so much time overnight um uh that you spend so much time overnight so many miles away from where you could get help if you needed it that they don't let people into the race that they don't think could finish it didn't ben dnf because he got into a fight with a bear and then slept by a river or something yeah probably something like that um but yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where like even when I had done a bunch of hundred mile races, like I've probably done three or four. No, I've, I've done like three full NUE seasons where I had at least five races and could get ranked in like finishing points. So more than 15, 100 mile races <laughs> at the point that I did vapor trail and they questioned you know, like whether or not I should do it because I didn't have any like 24 hour, like overnight racing type experience. And I'm like, yeah, I can do it. I've got lights. I'm practicing, like just give me the chance to do it. So, you know, like they're really, really watching out for who's out there because you have to be able to take care of yourself there because it's, you're in the, you're just in the fucking back country. Like there's nothing. There are no one roads. Didn't turn out. There are no roads to get to you if you hurt yourself. Like when you're at like the furthest point of the course, if you were to hurt or injure yourself, it would take off-road vehicles to navigate the, uh, like the, the ATV trails to get to you. So, you know, they're really, really careful with who they let do that race. So the DNF rate is not quite as high as what you would think it would be. But didn't it not turn out super good for you? Uh, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't acclimated. It was when I was still living in Memphis. So I was just really slow. Like I was making it and I was just trucking along. I was just like trucking along at the back of the field that actually finished. I was like, you know, I was hanging out with like the dudes in gym socks, like white gym socks. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, uh, it was slow, you know, I was just really, really slow. Like I couldn't climb very fast. I was just always in my easiest gear. 
I could descend pretty well. Um, but you know, I, I basically just did everything very, very slowly, but very, very steadily. And it took like 19 hours, but I still made it, you know, and, and I think that was still like, that's, that's one of the very few races where I say like, if you just finish it, you did something really awesome because a lot of people like some, there are people that at every single NUE race that I did all the hundreds that are like, I'm just here to finish. It's like, well, that's great, but I'm here to race. Oh, did you finish Vapor Trail? Yeah. Oh, I don't know why. I thought you DNF'd that one for some No, reason. no, I finished it, definitely. Oh, okay. Um, it just took a long time. You know, I was just going slowly, and I was getting, like, in not barely under the time cutoffs, but, like, you know, like, I was paying attention to them. But it was, you know, it was awesome. Like, I, so I got to- it's uh, 125 miles with... 20,000 feet of climbing, is that right? I, I don't know how much climbing there is. I don't ever pay yes. attention to that. But it's... It is significantly over 100 feet per mile. Yes. It's on the order of, like, what, 100 and 170 feet per mile-ish? I, I don't know. Like, it's it's a lot of climbing. And, like, the one climb that gets everyone... Well, there's two climbs that get everyone, but one of them especially, and it's... So there's, you know, you're, you're at like, I don't know, mile, it's before you get to a hundred. It's between the second. So you, you have the first aid station you get to relatively quickly. Like you get to it maybe around midnight, like within two or three hours of the race starting. Um, yeah. And, and Matt will put a link to vapor trail into this, um, post for this episode so you can look at what the race is it's basically if you don't know starts in salida colorado it's 125 ish miles um and it starts at 10 o'clock at night and that's basically so that it's not necessarily to add extra difficulty it's because they don't want people above tree line on the monarch crest trail when it's thunderstorm time um so starts late at night you ride a large portion of the the race in the dark. Um, so there's the first aid station is within two or three hours of starting the race. And then the next aid station isn't until almost dawn. Like it's, you go a very, very long time. And that's the part I was talking about, like where you could get, you know, if you didn't know how to take care of yourself in like an overnight Alpine environment, you, you could die. Um, that's, you know, that, that section of the race is, is extremely difficult mentally because you also have like an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how fast you hike a bike, you have at least an hour of hike a bike in there. Uh, and then if you're fast, unlike I was doing, you do an hour long descent. That's pretty fucking technical in the dark. Um, I was going so slow that I watched the sunrise at the top part. And then I descended when it was light. So I, I was okay. But if you're competitive, you're doing that descent in the dark. And it's really hard. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, you get from that second aid station to the third aid station. You do this long, long, long gravel road climb up Old Monarch Pass. And it just absolutely fucks people's heads. Like it's none of the climb is really steep or really difficult, but it just seems like it goes forever. Like it just goes on and on. And that aid station at the top, 
that's where the crew, that's like the crew aid station. And so that's where like your drop bag is, but that's also where like the car is that can take you back. That's where the, uh, you know, like that's, it's easy to get back to town there. Like it's, it's really, really super easy to quit there. Like you've been doing this climb that's totally just killed you. And then it's really easy to quit at the top. And that's where a lot of people quit. Um, there's another climb that's really hard. It's Starvation Creek, which comes um, around mile 100. Um, and that one's also really hard, but it's, it's harder. It's, it's much harder to quit at that point. Like you don't have a car to go to. Like it's, there's an aid station there. Um, and people always talk about that one. Like, don't let this one get to you because it's, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's not forever. It is long and it's a, a difficult climb, but it's, you know, you eat donuts at the aid station. You're all right. But yeah, the, there's, there's that climb. Like there's just lots of parts of the course that just make you want to quit. Like it's, it's, it's equally as difficult mentally as it is physically. And so, uh, you know, like if you have that, that vapor trail beanie, um, you know, that's like, it's like your badge of honor or it's like your, your, uh, your bandana into like the hardest gang in the world. So that's, that's my story for the week was I saw a guy with a vapor trail beanie and I was like, yeah, I got one of those too. And that was where a phrasing out of context took. I pulled mine out and he was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I've got interesting for this week. All right. Um, my tire that didn't hold air holds air now. Yay. I did nothing different. I just decided not to ride it over two hours at a time and to air it up before every ride. And the other day I went to ride to work and my heavy winter gloves were too wet. They're a glove with a vapor barrier and they don't come apart and they weren't dry yet after laundering them. Um, and I had to ride my mountain bike, so I put bar mitts because I only have mountain bike bar mitts. So I put bar mitts on my mountain bike, and uh, it worked. The tire worked. I aired it up in the morning and rode to work, and then I like just have it. I didn't even put a gauge on it. I just like put the air compressor on it and went and rode home. And I just squeezed it a minute ago. That was on Saturday, and it, it still holds air on Monday. So, like, it's still like, oh, there's way too much air in here today. So, that's pretty cool. Cool. But, but I did order new rims for those wheels already. So, I guess I'm going to rebuild them at some point. I don't know. I have them. So, that's What'd good. What'd you get? MK3 Crest. What hubs? Are you just going to use those DT hubs? No, 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 no. We're going to talk about two wheels for me today. No, my i9G built me forever ago. The rims I thought were dying. Okay. So I just ordered new rims and I was going to rebuild them with new rims. Cool. But now those wheels hold air. So I think I'm just going to, like, I have the rims. I'm just going to hang them up and I'm going to ride those wheels until they just absolutely die. Because that's the thing with the (laughs) crest out here. Like, you might destroy one kind of at any given moment. So. I'm going to ride them just a little bit longer, but that is, that's pretty much it. I haven't ridden much and 
been real busy, so not a whole lot going on that's worth talking about. Uh, I will say that I do have a wheel question, which kind of leads us for Kenny, because I really want to like talk this through on the on the internets. Um, I've seen a couple of bikes that are the same weight as my top fuel recently that I just don't understand how or why. And I know what I'm going to have to do to make my top fuel lighter and uh, arguably better, more fun to ride. And those those two things are going to be, I need to change the seat post. And that's pretty simple. Kenny's going to say Sente's high flex post. But I'm, I don't think I'm going to go quite that fancy. Sente's uh, high flex post. I know. I know. That's what I should put in the bike. It's just really expensive. Um, and then the other one is... The wheels oh, I've got a really quick thing on that. Random, but just so the internet's knows, and maybe this will light a fire under someone's ass. Uh, Sintes, I guess, changed whoever their distributor is for the U.S. I have no freaking idea who it was before, but it was somebody, like probably somebody that doesn't even make sense. Like they import, you know, they import like cat scratching posts <laughs> and Sintes seat posts for some reason. Uh, but whatever, they changed mate whoever is importing them and it's like some random bike shop that i've never heard of before um and a lot of places are like this i think lupine lights is like that some random bike shop um imports them and then sells them to other distributors so it's like first stop distributor in the u.s is somebody random so it's someone new for Sintes because basically we buy them all from quality because it's fast and convenient and the pricing is fine and quality apparently is buying them from this mom and pop shop which is like insane <laughs> but anyway so weird called mom and pop shop because I've got a snapped in half P6 high flex, <laughs> which is very unusual. And I've like emailed and called a million people and like, nobody knows who I need to talk to finally got in touch with this shop and they don't know how to process a warranty. They've like never, they haven't thought that this is like something you're going to have to do. Oh my gosh. And, and they're really pissing me the fuck off. So <laughs> if anyone knows who these people or they're listening or whatever, you need to get your shit together. So hopefully <laughs> this will not become an issue because I don't want to have to like drop my endorsement of the Sinte seat post because they're fucking awesome. But um, anyway, just wanted to put that out there that I am having trouble just getting a simple warranty done, which is ridiculous. But anyway, sorry, Matt, to interrupt. Oh, it's fine. I do it to you all the time. <laughs> that was like, you've, you you still owe me like 100 So <laughs> All right, but you're talking about mm-hmm. wheels and selection and such. Yeah, so right now the bike has a pretty uh, turdy seat post, which I'm fine with. I mean, if you're going to pick somewhere to to cut corners, do it on parts that people are probably going to replace or maybe want to change anyways. So seat post is a great place to cut money. The other thing that I'm really wanting to upgrade is the wheels. And I can't decide if I should buy a just off the shelf, uh, no tubes crest MK three wheel set and pay the little bit extra to get their fancy spokes. Or if I should rebuild my existing straight pull DT three fifties with, mk3s yeah so the way i would approach that is if you don't have to if you have to change the spoke length i'd go ahead and get really nice spokes if you don't have to change the spoke length i wouldn't touch them that's what you think straight pull spokes are okay no i don't but if you have straight pull hubs what are you going to do yeah well that's the thing i could use them i could not touch those and i could build a whole new wheel set yeah, and that's tough. Again, I don't like – we talked about this on the last show, I think. I wouldn't want to destroy a set of wheels just to change one part. 
I'd rather have like two separate wheels at that point. Mm, and I get you there. I just, for me, the problem is I don't know if I really need a second wheel set for this bike. And then I don't know. I just don't. The real question I have though, and the scary part is those are 28 hole hubs. And this is on a cross bike though, right? No, this is on my cross country bike, my top fuel. Okay. So the top fuel currently has DT 350 straight pull with which hoops again? Mm, they're like M1900 or something. They're pretty heavy wheels. I looked them up once. They're like really oh, heavy. Oh, they're the actually. actual DT wheels. Okay. Yeah, they're like 1700 and something. They basically, those and No, the they're new, heavier than that. I thought that those and the new uh, carbon wheels that come on the, the next generation or whatever, this year's top fuel were the same weight. Mm, I'm going to have to go to the bike archive right now because I don't feel like running into the other room to try to read my wheels. So this is what I've learned about what most big manufacturers that make decent shit, what they do with spoke selection, number of spokes, hub selection, hoop selection, all that kind of stuff. What I have found and what seems to actually work very well is if you if you're saving weight, if weight is a concern, a good way to do it is overbuild the rim hoop just a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit wide, maybe it's just burlier. But make the rim hoop itself a little bit stronger, a little bit heavier, and then you can run, say, four less spokes. So make a rim hoop that is maybe 50 grams heavier, and then take out four spokes, and if they're round spokes, that's about 25 grams. Um, so you end up with net a tiny bit heavier wheel set that is 28 spokes, but has a much stiffer, stronger rim hoop, which from the feel in the seat makes the wheel a lot better so it is much much better in my experience to have a rim hoop that is strong and have fewer spokes to get the weight down because when you have uh, more weight in the hoop and it's a stronger hoop so it's aluminum uh, in this case when each spoke uh, if you try to run low spoke count on a very lightweight aluminum wheel it tends to deform between the spokes a lot more um and also, you're just going to end up with a wiggly, since it's a lightweight rim hoop, it's going to be pretty wiggly side to side. Uh, so long story short is, if you're trying to build, like if all the weight stays the same, I would always choose the wheel that has fewer spokes but a stronger rim hoop. And you'll see DT Swiss does this with all their stuff, and there's there's a reason why they do what they do. You can also get away with this on carbon rims a lot easier because they're just inherently much stronger rim hoops. You can run much fewer spokes because... Uh, in between the spokes, especially on carbon, really does not want to deform. It really wants to stay in one cohesive piece. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on it. Don't be scared of 28-hole wheels as long as the hoop is strong. So something that, in my opinion, you do not want to do, unless there's some really weird extenuating circumstance or you weigh 100 pounds or this is going to be a front wheel on a cross bike or something like that or even a road bike, do not do... 28 hole crests in 29er <laughs> uh i'm serious they make them and it's a bad plan so i have not actually tried this on the mark three but on the original crest they were terrible and i had a particular rider who probably weighed 120 pounds had 28 hole front and rear on a 29er and those things were just terrible they had all kinds of problems eventually went to a 28 hole arch on the back 
and it was a lot better. So it's not really the lacing pattern or sorry, the number of spokes that's a big problem. It's having very few spokes on a very lightweight rim that is a problem. So you're um, saying Matt should not put crest wheels on his 28-hole DT hubs? Uh, I do not recommend it. I think that's a bad plan. So I would, something you could do if you're really wanting to get kind of creative, I would do something like 28-hole arches with DT Aerolite spokes. Like go with a much lighter spoke to get some of that weight down. It's already 28-hole. And then go with a little bit burlier rim hoop, like an arch or maybe some kind of carbon wheel. What but kind I would of spokes per- are on there now? Just round, straight pull, double butted spokes. So, but see, then what you're saying though is I'm just going to, and it's not necessarily the money, it's the, I'm not going to run arches. Like <clears throat> I'm trying to take more of the Shimano stance on wheels than the DT Swiss stance on wheels. So Shimano's thing is our hub is really heavy because it's open ball and all that garbage, but our rim hoop is really light, and that makes our wheels spin up faster. Um, You'd be really surprised. Uh, some of those Shimano rim hoops <clears throat> are quite a bit burlier and heavier than you think. Yeah, yeah, but when you look at a uh, – Shimano is talking about comparing apples to apples. So like their C24 road wheel, the rim is pretty light for what it is. But the hub is heavy, so you in, you know if you're comparing two 1500 gram road wheels, the Durace wheel should ride better because it has a lighter hoop, is what they're saying. Surprisingly enough, though, in my experience, that hoop is actually not as light as you think. They just run an insanely low spoke count. That's how they get the weight down. And those hubs are actually not quite as heavy as you might think. They're definitely lighter stuff out there, but the Durace in particular is not that bad. What I found actually is that the Durace rim hoop and the Altegra rim hoop are very close in weight. And the big difference is uh, the hubs. That's really where the, the big weight difference is there. Um, I still would not recommend 28-hole Crest 29. I think that's a... No, so it sounds like I should just buy a, a Crest complete wheel set. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if you're going to run a, a Crest 29, I would highly, highly recommend doing a 32-hole setup because the rim hoop itself really needs that because you just have too much space in between spokes at that point with too soft of material or too thin of a material and it just wants to flatten out in between all those spokes um, it's like what the original crank brothers wheels like to do they would get literally flat because it was in uh in effect it was a 12 spoke wheel it was 24 spokes but they went to the same exact point on the rim so it was pretty much a 12-spoke wheel at that point, and it was a 29er, and that fucker, after you rode that thing for a few years, it was literally flat in between spokes. It was nuts. It was basically like, I don't know, whatever a uh, whatever you call a 12-sided thing. <laughs> you know, A dozen to gone? Yeah, yeah. Think stop sign, but 12-sided. That's what this <laughs> wheel looked like. Um, so, And that's kind of what your 28-hole crest is trying to do to itself. You Because also, the larger the wheel, the, the larger the distance in between the spokes are. So the distance between a 32-hole 26er is different than the distance between each spoke on a 29 32-hole. So the bigger the wheel, the more the spoke count kind of starts to matter as far as um, the hoop itself getting deflected in between the spokes, especially with aluminum. Carbon, it really doesn't seem to matter that much, and that's why you see... 
a lot of these manufacturers being able to get away with ridiculously low spoke counts on carbon because it acts as one cohesive unit. So as long as it's an all or nothing thing with spokes, the spokes either work and they don't break or they just all start breaking all the time. Um, it's not like people think that spokes make a wheel stiff or strong, and that's not really the case at all. If spokes are in tension at all, another fascinating thing is for the most part, building a wheel to 80 kilograms of force versus building a wheel to 120 kilograms of force, one wheel is not inherently stiffer than the other. And strength is a subjective thing because the reason you don't want to build a wheel to 80 kilograms is because as the wheel loads up, the spokes will unload and reload, and they tend to fatigue a lot more. So if you can keep the whole thing in constant tension at a higher tension, it actually ends up being a stronger thing overall because it doesn't go through as many stress cycles. That's kind of the reasoning behind it, at least what I've read, and that makes a lot of sense to me. So it's counterintuitive to people a lot of times. They think that a high spoke count uh, is, or sorry, high spoke count, a high spoke tension will cause failures, but it's usually an under tension wheel that will fail more often than not, which is kind of crazy. And basically, you want to build a wheel as tightly as it possibly can, as tight as the rim hoop can really allow. And usually, it's the rim hoop that is the weak point, not usually the spokes or the nipples, which is really fascinating to me as well. So a carbon wheel, you can build to a higher tension because the nipples won't end up like pulling through because the actual bed material uh, is a lot thicker and it's a lot stronger. So really fascinating as far as that goes. But basically, some people are scared of low spoke count wheels, but I really wouldn't be. I rode as an experiment and very much on purpose. I built that 24-hole front skyline. That thing was ace. It was just as stiff laterally as anything else out there, as any other skyline. It is as laterally stiff as a 32-hole but it was a 24 hole and it's all or nothing. It either works and it can carry the load or it just starts failing spokes. But that 24 hole wheel is not really, it doesn't ride any differently than the 32, if that makes sense. So you kind of want to use just as many spokes as you have to. Um, And this is talking about an unlimitedly stiff, unlimitedly strong rim hoop, kind of like a carbon rim hoop. And this is where aluminum doesn't do well because it will deform in between spokes. But if you have a hoop that doesn't deform between spokes, you can get away with super low spoke counts. So zip wheels are typically, what, 12 spokes in the front or 14 or 16? It's, it's some super low spoke count on the front of these zip wheels. And they do it because they can. I mean, that's why they do it. Um, yeah, That's another so, reason that disc brake road wheels are so heavy is because they have to put in enough spokes to withstand all the braking forces. Exactly. That's another really fascinating topic. I'm glad you brought that up. And the general consensus there. So some other really fascinating things happen with wheels. When you have tangential force, so that's imagine trying to twist the hub. You know, if somebody was holding, clamping onto the rim hoop, and you just tried to, you put a machine on that hub and you tried to twist that hub, uh, those spokes are going to want to wind up. And that's why you really need to have, on a disc wheel, you have to have a bunch of crosses to counteract that twisting force. Uh, so that's why you have to have crosses on a disc wheel. And typically, most people kind of agree that 24 holes is just about as low as you want to go on a disc wheel that can generate a decent amount of braking force because there's a lot of twisting force that happens. And that's another fascinating thing to think about is how much braking force are you going to see? So if you're on like a road bike with a road tire, yeah, you can generate some decent force, but you're not going to generate the same force as you will on an all mountain bike with grippy tires and a 200 mil front rotor. So that is a really that's a really good reason to actually build with more spokes is braking force, not so much the force side to side or even vertically 
up and down just taking a big hit or a big drop. It's really that twisting force that it's going to want to break stuff. So um, all fascinating stuff to keep in mind when you build wheels. But a lot of people have a misconception that, for example, a 28-hole wheel set is a bad thing. And you can, can check out uh, what Industry 9 is doing. Some One of their budget – I think it's called the Trail S. I have to go do my research on it. But it's a fairly burly aluminum rim hoop, like way overbuilt, like pretty damn heavy. I believe it's like flow kind of weight, but it's not necessarily flow width. And they run 28 holes on that with steel spokes. And I think the reason they do it is because I think more and more people are realizing that a bigger, burlier rim hoop will yield a stronger wheel and stiffer wheel at the end of the day, and then you can get away with running fewer spokes to get the weight reasonable. Uh, I've got the specs pulled up here. The Trail S alloy rim um, is it's a 28-hole straight pull hub. It is 24.5 inner width. Uh, let's see. But so that wheel, still... that wheel should, on paper you would think that that wheel should weigh quite a bit less than a factory arch build because an arch has 32 holes from the factory. And I'm not saying you can't build it otherwise, but that's the factory ZTR build. 32 holes, and it's a 26 mil internal rim. And I'll bet you money that the stands is actually a lighter wheel than the i9. Uh, so a 27.5 um, i9 Trail S wheel is 16 or wheel set is 1635 so it's probably similar then to the arch the arch is 1697 but that is for for a 27 and a half show enough yeah okay so pretty close pretty close that's that's within the realm of like margin of error 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 and what they're doing there though if you think about it so the arch is wider uh but really where the weight is happening there is I can pretty much guarantee you that there's more material in the I-9 hoop. And that's why the weights are the way they are. Yeah. And what I'm also getting at is I think a lot of people are starting to figure out that these bigger rim hoops are better. DT Swiss has been doing it. Uh, that darn Mach 6 that I rode had a 28-hole spoke count front That rear. darn Mach 6. 28 hole. It's crazy. Blew my mind. Every single uh, bike that I rode of theirs, the Mach 429 SL. Yeah, they have the those 429 DT Trail and the um, Mach 6. Yeah. They were all DT Swiss factory wheels. They were all 28 hole, but they just had different hoops. So they got bigger and more burly. Yeah. So as, those, as those are the, the wheels that Matt has, basically. They're the, uh, the same ones, but he has like the X. Whatever, like the cross-country version of those. I think yeah, they're in the yeah. 17 to 1800 gram they're, range. I looked them up. They're 1680. Okay. So I also own a set of DT350s, 28-hole, on the Arch EX, so the older Arch. Uh, yeah, 28-hole with round spokes, and those wheels ride great. I love those things. Um, I'm actually very, very happy with them. So the more I look at this kind of stuff, I'm kind of actually keeping my eye out for possibly my next wheel is a 28-hole set, front and rear, that's aluminum, that is a little bit heavier than crest so they don't deform. That's what I'm going for. Because I think that's a good formula. What about um, really reducing the spoke width or diameter um, to reduce yeah, weight? What that's you, not a... In your, in your experience, have you seen like super thin spokes? Do those break easier? Do they flex more? Like what... 
What's been your experience with those? This is a fascinating topic, and people will argue this until they're blue in the face. The fact of the matter is it's hard to get very solid evidence on how all this stuff works together. Um, but just this is from my own experience and wheels that I've built and other people's wheels I've seen come in that I've had to mess with or retrue or whatever. What I have generally seen is, as I said before, spokes are very all or nothing. They either are adequate for the job or they're just way too few or way too, way too tiny, and then you start having failures. But a, again, let's imagine that a 24-hole Knox Skyline with aero light spokes, so extremely light spokes, low spoke count, two cross, so it has proper tangential force and all that good stuff. That wheel compared to the exact same Skyline but 32-hole and three cross laterally side to side, if they're both tensioned the same, I really don't think there's much of a difference, if any, um, in stiffness or really in strength. And I say strength, and strength's a funny word because up until a certain point, they are both going to be just as stiff feeling, basically. Well, yeah, because you have basically the same rim but with different numbers of holes in it. Yeah. So unless the rim hoop itself actually like fails or something, I just don't – there's not really much of a difference between the two. And I think – the more you read around and see what other manufacturers are building and experimenting with, I really do think that's the case, is that you can go with a strong rim and, again, lower spoke count, as I said, um, kind of over and over again. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking for that wheel. That'd be great. Something aluminum, something uh, that can kind of take that a 29er that can truly take 28 holes uh, set up. So and, does that uh, – Oh yeah, we were talking about spoke thickness. I'm sorry. Well, so no, I was gonna say. So does that mean I should just buy carbon wheels and get down under 1,400 grams if I really want to save weight? Uh, I mean, yes, that's what I'd say. I know you don't <laughs> like carbon wheels that much, but that's what I'd say. Uh, if you want to keep the 28 get some hole, Knox 28 hole rims and put those on there, um, it would be awesome. <laughs> it would take out a ridiculous amount of weight, and that's yeah. a whole another reason why you want to do a carbon rim with lower spoke count because carbon can really withstand that low spoke count because it's so damn strong, and that means you can build the thing even lighter. Um, aluminum just has that kind of lower threshold where when you start trying to get too light on them and then you start going low spoke count, that sucker's just going to bend in between the spokes no matter what you do. Um, I think there's a, a reason why you see something like the Stan's Race Gold. Uh, that thing was a 32-hole wheel. You didn't see them try to go 28-hole on something like that. And you also didn't see any of their racy wheels being like a Crest 28-hole. Like they were trying to really get that rim hoop weight down. And when you do that, you just got to run a lot of spokes to keep everything happy. Um, it makes it easier to true too, I think. It really does. Yeah, it's all fascinating stuff. But there's definitely that threshold, that lower threshold on aluminum wheels where you don't want to go too light and too low spoke count because super bad shit happens. But uh, carbon seems to be really That's its jam. Okay. Really okay with it. Yeah, that's one of the big advantages of carbon is you can get away with running ridiculously low spoke counts. So, um, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, I we talked about it way back when, but I built and rode the shit out of some Skylines on I-9s with Aerolites, and it was 28-hole rear and 24-hole front with a road hub on the front or cross hub, whatever it was. And that wheel set weighed 1,360 grams. I mean, that's pretty damn light for a mountain wheel set and it was all through axle and all that good stuff and it was a regular mountain hub on the back you could get even more weight weenie and do uh 
a cross hub on the back, but then it's going to be 11 speed and you kind of lose some, you lose a little bit of side to side stiffness because the flanges are a lot closer together and all that stuff. But yeah, you can build super light carbon wheels, low spoke count. So, so here's something really random. Um, on the industry nine webpage, they have like a little, uh, a chat thing that will pop up that says questions, comments, or bad jokes. Do you have a bad joke to ask industry to say industry nine? Yeah, that's been up there forever. <laughs> well, yeah, but do we have a bad joke we can give them? No, I don't. <laughs> we'll try to come up with a, a wheel pun. I'll think about one. Oh, but we were going to talk about like spoke thickness because that also comes up a lot. No, spoke thickness. Well, you still haven't figured out how I'm going to cut weight out of my bike. But uh, you're going to get if you want to keep your stuff. If you want to keep your hubs for some weird reason, uh, just get carbon rim hoops but well, i wouldn't even bother hubs. doing they're it. not bad hubs they're just straight yeah, pull. Yeah, like I what do you so. think straight pull uh, versus j-bin then i just don't like building straight pull wheels that's really it and a lot of times they can uh the spokes tend to twist in the hubs they don't always but they tend to twist in the hubs a little bit it's just one more thing that's annoying as hell from a engineering standpoint it makes a lot of sense you can build a stronger spoke and you can do some funny things with the flanges. And you can also do really fascinating things. So a if all your uh, spokes are evenly spaced on a J-bend round flanged hub, every one of those holes is exactly equidistant from each other, unless you have some weird fucked up wheel that we're not even going to discuss. So what it means is you need to run a set cross pattern for whatever number of spokes you have. And you can really only have, you don't have a whole lot to play with there. But you can do really fascinating things. For example, you could do a 28-hole wheel that is two-cross. And 28-hole two-cross is not quite as tangentially strong as a 32-hole three-cross wheel, which means you don't get that really good opposing spoke force when you twist that hub. So what you can do, though, is on a straight-pull hub, you can build those flanges and you can move where those spoke flanges are and you could actually build a 28 hole two cross wheel that has the same uh like spoke i don't know what you call that term to be honest but that spoke of opposing force you can actually put those spokes further apart from each other where they pull at a better angle against each other and you can't do that on a round flange j-bend hub so that's one fascinating thing that you can do with a straight pull setup I like but that it's other, easier to replace a broken spoke if, as long is, as you have the spoke. Yeah, it definitely can be a lot easier to replace a spoke. But, I mean, if everything in the world is good and you've got a good quality rim hoop uh, and it's tensioned and built properly and all that kind of stuff, you should pretty much never have to replace spokes. I mean, it should be very, very rare that you have to do something like that. So, yes, that's a neat thing. It's kind of like arguing that a lefty is cool because you can change the front flat without taking the wheel off. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's cool, but how fucking often are you getting front flats? Come on. Uh, so, yeah, I All agree. All the it's, time. Yeah, yeah, you're doing it wrong. Uh, I don't want to bash. Are we recording? Yeah, we are. I've been checking that. That's good. I don't want to bash on straight pull hubs. They can be okay. I just don't prefer them. And they make, uh, sometimes they can make spoke calculation a little bit more complicated. Um, J-Bends are very nice. The formula is very easy to get everything done correctly, and they work pretty damn well. If you have a really good quality spoke, it's probably not going to fail at the J-Bend. Um, so if that J-Bend is two millimeters or bigger, which is pretty much any decent spoke out there, it shouldn't be a problem. 
So if you go look at any spoke out there, pretty much. Um, so a DT Aerolite is two millimeters. A Competition is two millimeters. Pretty much all the Wheelsmith is two millimeters. Sapem CX rays are two millimeters. Are they there, all just do. I know. I when I was doing my my spoke inventory hell, I found a lot of straight gauge one point eight spokes, and then a lot of one point eight to one point six butted spokes. Yeah, those are really bad. I, in my experience, <laughs> the spokes that I have the most problems with are spokes that are one point eight at the J bend. Those things are just not for most people. Most bikes most average weight riders it's just not adequate um do you think there's the other, just too much fatigue to the metal and it just makes it more there's more movement there i guess there's more stretch there's just too much for that little amount of material i don't have the engineering answer for you i don't actually know because another thing that people bring up a lot of times and i don't know if it's true or not if you have a very very thick very strong spoke. So imagine you had a three millimeter spoke, something that's like impossibly huge in the bike world. Maybe it exists for e-bikes. Like or an aluminum I nine spoke. Yeah, but think of something that's steel. So it is actually quite a bit stronger okay. than its normal steel counterpart. So imagine a two millimeter straight gauge spoke, which is very strong or very stiff, rather. I don't know if it's actually much stronger, which and is very funny heavy. <clears throat> but anyway, imagine a three millimeter spoke now. So absolutely giant, and imagine that it is straight pull, straight gauge all the way through. So no budding profiles on it. That spoke, I think what people argue, and I can see this, and I don't know if it's true or not, it is so strong and it doesn't want to stretch. Because when a spoke, if you think about a spoke, those things are really freaking skinny and they're really long, especially on a 29er. Uh, If you actually pull on that spoke with a lot of force, that thing will stretch like elongate by a pretty measurable amount. And the thicker that spoke gets, the less it wants to do that. So I think what happens is your your wheel, as it spins and hits bumps and all that kind of stuff, goes through this phenomenal cycle of all kinds of weird things happening where the spokes will actually elongate and then pull back, elongate and pull back. And while that's a fatigue cycle, um, if you don't go beyond some large amount that actually like makes the spoke yield and permanently stay that long – that actually adds some amount of like damping, I suppose, to the wheel. But if you have this impossibly strong spoke, I think it's argued that if the rim hoop deflects a little bit and then snaps back, it actually causes all kinds of very strange stress in that way. So uh, what I have actually found is usually a good quality brand name spoke that's been properly heat treated and all that kind of good stuff. And maybe it just has to do with that that I'm missing and I don't realize it. But for example, I've had better luck with DT competition spokes, which is kind of that gold standard. It's a two millimeter at either end, and then it butts down to 1.8 in the middle. That is the strongest damn spoke that I've ever used. The two gauge, or two gauge, the two uh, millimeter straight gauge spoke that is called the Champion by DT Swiss. I've had more problems out of those than I have out of the competition spoke that is lighter weight and smaller in the middle. And I think it might be because it can naturally move around a little bit more, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have this weird, like imp- like super stiff uh, section that the rim hoop keeps smashing up against as the rim hoop itself deforms as it rolls over things. I don't know if that's true or not, or maybe there's another heat treatment process or well, something. <clears throat> what I was going to say is, have you had problems with those on wheels that you've built, or are they? Is it the nature of the fact that wheels that have those spokes in them are? probably of a poorer quality because they're made to be cheaper. 
and you could be exactly right. A lot of times they'll couple a champion with a shitty rim hoop. So they have a shitty rim hoop that deflects a whole ton, and that puts even more stress on the spokes themselves. And that's another reason why I think you can really get away. If you have a really, really stiff, really strong rim hoop that doesn't deform a lot, I think it actually makes the spokes live a longer life. When you have the when you have constant uh, when the hoop itself now we're talking about when the hoop itself is deforming and snapping it back against the spokes, I think that's what causes a lot of fatigue on the spokes. So it's all crazy how this stuff's interrelated, and there's a lot of hearsay. I don't necessarily have all the right answers. This is just from me seeing stuff come in, seeing what comes in with broken spokes, repairing stuff, building stuff from scratch, experimenting. Um, if nothing else, I can say this. A champion spoke that's a two millimeter and fairly heavy versus a competition spoke, which is a little bit lighter and, and just a great little spoke, not too expensive, not too heavy, not too light, not too skinny. It's a really good all rounder. Those two spokes, if nothing else, seem to be about equal, if nothing else, in overall strength from what I can see. So I just always tell people to build with competitions because why not? They're like 20 cents more per spoke or something like that. And they're quite a bit lighter, like very much lighter each each wheel is going to be something like 100 grams lighter it's a huge amount of weight just in spokes so that's my experience and it is what it is um yeah any other questions as far as wheels and all that stuff goes no no we have a question but it's a doozy Uh, let's see. Let me find it here. Uh, Travis from the internet says, Hey, Jerry, I emailed last winter about a pivot less, which I ended up not getting in favor of a 429 to maintain 142 rear hub spacing for a dope set of North Face, I mean, Indy wheels I already had. I raced it in the marathon class and had a few hundred miles this summer, and I had a lot of fun and had no complaints about the bike other than at times it felt more playful than I would have liked for a race bike. It's worth saying I was coming off of an epic, so anything that moves when hit equaled playful for the first bit of summer. Anyways, as the subject line indicates, I'm looking to move back to single-speed life this coming summer. I picked up a Bianchi Rita for burly duty a while back, and I ended up racing it in the marathon class a few times this summer just for fun. I'm racing everything single this coming summer, and since I have this super dope 429 SL hanging out in my garage, I figured I would put it to good use. Living in Minnesota, or Minnesota, sorry, uh, I wouldn't have much for sustained climbing. I want to put a road cassette on my 429 to limit bailout gear while play riding. It is currently set up with the M9000 drivetrain. What cassette and rear derailleur shifter combo will give me the best success for this process? It seems like the Z Saint line uses Ultegra cassettes, so does this mean the spacing on 10 speed is the same for road and mountain? Also note, I work at Bike Shop. All of my S-Tech, which is like your Shimano training, classes are up to date, and I have a parts bin full of older stuff, and my QVP account is begging to be abused, so throwing parts at this bike isn't a big deal. I know Kenny loves these weird Franken bikes, so I figured we could all have some fun with this. I love the show. I buy all my Amazon shit through the affiliate link. Thanks for helping out a board mechanic. Travis. Um, I'll give my 30-second answer on it. You would use XTR 10-speed with a Durace 10-speed cassette. It'd be really light. It'd be really cool. Done. When you say XTR 10-speed, are you talking 2x? 
No, he wants to limit his road bailout gearing. So he wants road one by ten on this essentially. On on his four two nine SL. So we're gonna answer this two ways, but yeah. He wants less gearing on his bike. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um so, that's weird. That's I mean, that's a pretty good option, right? XDR, yeah, I mean that would one be one by ten. With a Durace road cassette? It would be light, yeah. What do you think, Andrea? Uh, You know, I'm not into Franken bikes the same way that you and Kenny are, so I just take your advice. It sounds like expensive parts, so it would probably be good. I guess I missed again what his final goal is, or he doesn't have a final goal. He just wants to build something weird and unique. He says, I want to put a road cassette on my 429 to limit my bailout gear while play riding. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's sure. a great way to, that's a great way to do it, I suppose. Um, and he, right Is now, he, keep he only the same, has, uh, he has same derailleur. No, he has M9000, so he has 11 speed XTR. Oh, oh okay. Sometimes that limit, like the B tension can be kind of weird on a road cassette. Like it's, it's hard to get it, get the derailleur close enough to the, the cassette in in a lot of the gears, so it's that can be a little weird, but you know, I don't think it's a big deal. Well, if yeah, that's a pretty. If he ahead. had ten speed, he's technically only cheating it by four teeth, because ten speed should work with eleven thirty two or eleven thirty six. Yeah, and then he'd put an eleven twenty eight cassette on there, so he'd be four teeth off. And it's an option. A better option would be to just sell the bike and buy a hardtail. I mean, it sounds like he's already going to be doing that because he's riding single speed. He's already got a hardtail because he's riding single speed, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I I just don't know why you'd want to limit the gearing. That just seems very. It that seems well. Very you get a closer gear ratio. Like I, I'm assuming he's going to ride it on the road a lot. Maybe? Yeah, if it was going to be for road duty, for doing like road training or whatever. I mean, I kind of get it, but. Oh man, that's that's weird. What I would personally do is I would do a reasonably sized front ring. Like, don't get too giant with it because the bigger you go on the front ring, the bigger the jumps are in the back, uh, percentage wise. So what I would do is I would do something like an eleven speed eleven thirty two uh, Durace or Altegra cassette. They might not make the Durace in eleven thirty two, but I know no. they make the Altegra in eleven thirty two in eleven speed. So that's what I would do. I'd do an Altegra 1132 road cassette. You're obviously going to have to have a road freehub body, but I'm sure he can figure that part out. And that way you get the, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but the most important piece is that your bottom four gears have really, bottom three or four gears have one tooth jumps. Uh, so this was a problem I was solving for a customer of mine who wanted to do a one by cross bike with DI2. Uh, mountain XTR derailleur drop shifters etc uh, at first he just wanted to run the mountain cassette but he was doing a lot of road duty and he's going to go pretty fast on the thing and I told him he was not going to like at all the jumps he was going to have with like a 40 or 42 tooth front ring yeah not at all he would hate it would go 11 13 15 17 or something yeah. to that effect they're pretty <laughs> much two tooth jumps on just the factory uh, 1142 XT or XTR cassette 
And that's massive on the road, especially yeah. at that big of a ring. So the Altegra 1132 road cassette gets you 11, 12, 13, 14, I think. I know at least like the bottom three are one tooth jumps, which is a really, really yeah. big deal when you're trying to fine tune your road speed. So I think 1132 would be the best option if you're just trying to get your like. Yeah, that's that's I mean, I, I've done that before on two by 10. Um, I was running 1132 and it, it did a lot of road duty and that worked really well. What I did for my bar bike is it's 10 speed one by and I had just a regular old one of my pull off XT um 1136 cassettes which is like the gold standard for 10 speed stuff and i actually swapped it out for an xt 1132 because the bottom there was a one tooth jump now in the bottom gears which is hugely noticeable for me on that bike because i do spend a lot of time in the hardest gears so that's what i'd recommend (laughs) that's that's a appropriate for a bar bike right yeah boom there you go. Or you could just sell it and not have a cobbled together bike. Just buy the proper <laughs> bike. I'm I'm getting over the cobbled together stuff like very slowly and surely like I'm growing out of cobbling stuff together. Um, it's fun to do certain things. I think certain cobbling makes a lot of sense. What I have on my bike right now, for example, is just to take weight out. I mean, it's a very functional thing. It's not a, hey, let's do something random for the sake of doing something random. So I run, and this is not anything that novel, and a lot of people do it. I run an XX1 11-speed cassette with obviously an XD driver, and I run that with my Shimano 1x11 drivetrain. And it takes off a ridiculous amount of weight. It's like 150-plus grams from an XT cassette to the XX1, which is, I think that's worth the compromise. It is one percent off on shifting quality if that makes sense it is the smallest detectable amount not quite as good as an actual shimano cassette but especially with the di2 since it overshifts and does its thing like on its own you don't even fucking notice it i mean it just shifts great so that's the kind of cobbled together stuff i like yeah uh by the way i'm checking out this gear ratio so 1132 is exactly what i thought it is on the 11 speed, it's 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 18, 20, etc. Whereas uh, the other stuff are two tooth jumps on those bottom four. Boom. So for those folks that are looking to do something like a gravel bike or cross bike, that's going to be one by. I highly recommend 11 speed, 1132. Right. There I do too. Go. Boom. Can't get much better than that. And if you want to get real fancy, you'll use the SRAM Red cassette because it's going to be the lightest one on the market. Oh, cool. Does Red make one that's that ratio? Yep. And for their Wi-Fi stuff, they make an 1132. And it is the lightest semi-wide range cassette you can get. And it, um, it, like Usually the lightest SRAM stuff makes the lightest Shimano stuff look heavy. Like SRAM's second tier stuff will be the same as Durace and Shimano. I also have a pet peeve that they don't have an 1132 Durace cassette. That kind of sucks. Don't they make something weird? No, they're weird? trying like, to keep it like full race. Like They're not doing a long cage derailleur in Durace, are they? They don't make I a think- derailleur or a cassette that is compatible with 1132 and the Durace stuff. It's so the a, new 9000 can go up to 30 now, whereas the old one only went to 28. Isn't that correct? Correct. So Durace 9000. 9100, sorry. 9100 yeah. does 30, and the old... 
9,000, I think officially only supported up to a 28. Does that sound right to you? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. We did put the wolf tooth goat link. I mean, I know we've talked about like the one up and like the extender cassettes and stuff and that they're kind of, well, not kind of, they're really flaky about what they worked with and what they didn't work with. Um, we've done a couple of goat link installations, which basically lets you take like your medium cage Shimano. Um, that's a road link. I oh, damn. Was, I'm looking this up right link. now. Cause it this has is, a picture of a goat on it. I saw one. Yes. Rowdy. So the 1132 SRAM red is 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 19. So the bottom five gears are one tooth away from each other, which is really smart. Yeah. That's fucking badass. Shimano needs to get the head out of their ass and do that. That's that's fucking amazing. I just learned something new. That is crazy. <laughs> the road- it, weighs, uh, it weighs 196 grams for the 1132. And I'm going to look up the Altegra. Uh, it's going to be over – it's 240, I think. Because I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that it went – Red, Altegra, XX1, and then the X, so like I guess that'd be like an 1190 cassette, and then the 1150 cassette, and then the XTR and the XT. We weighed every 11 speed, like semi big range cassette at work one day. Oh, nice. I had all that stuff written down and I lost it. Which that all is. sounds about right. I'm trying to find the weight here of the. Well, that's just not fucking right. <laughs> yeah, I like. Can this. I go back to while you're looking at weights? Can I go back to this thing I was talking about? I want to point out that Competitive Cyclist website is completely and totally dead wrong <laughs> on the weights of these cassettes. So they have 212 grams for 1132, 212 grams for 1125, 212 for 1128, 212 <laughs> for 25, and they're all Exactly. That is not fucking possible. Okay, so I was I was wrong. Um I was I was partially wrong um about the wolf tooth thing I was talking about. It is called a road link, like Matt said, but it does have a picture of a goat on it, like I said. So that's where I got the, the wrong idea that it was called a goat link. The goat link is a thing that we've talked about that doesn't always work when you're talking about ten speed mountain bike stuff. The road link um, we have successfully used at my shop in at least two instances to make an, a, a long cage Altegra DI2 derailleur work on a 32, I want to say bigger than a 32, but I'm just going to say 32 tooth cassette. So if you have a long cage, you can run an 1132. And then Maybe if you have than that then. a, so SRAM makes an 1170 cassette and an 1136, which is really designed to work with their CX1 stuff. We might've put it like on an XT cassette or something. I don't know. I don't remember. I just know we've used a couple of road links in the shop and they actually worked. So I found a published weight of this that actually makes sense because they have them all published and they're all like very reasonable steps. The 1132 Altegra is roughly 292 grams. So it's 100 grams heavier than a SRAM Red of the same, of roughly the same gearing ratio. So yeah, (laughs) if you're looking to build the most baller 11 speed gravel bike, DI2, 
and uh, one of these uh, red cassettes be pretty cool. Yeah, it just blew my mind that the so the X like I was saying like I yeah it goes red XX one and then like I guess it was technically like GX. Yeah, an XX one cassette that is eleven forty two is actually or ten forty two is actually lighter weight than a sixty eight hundred eleven speed Altegra eleven thirty two. That's crazy, crazy talk. Yeah, so it was like, and even the. I think it was yeah it was it was red XX1 and then Altegra and then the cheap SRAM one and then XT R and then XT. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cuz the 11 SRAM, SRAM knows how to make some light stuff. They do. The I will give it to them on 1150, that. 1150 1042 cassette. They do claim with the road length you can go up to a 40 tooth cassette. I don't think we've done that large in the shop. If if anything, it was a 36 or smaller. Um, but we do have, like, actually, I, I thought of that because one guy came in today. He's 85 years old, and he's trying to get his bike ready for his birthday ride. He does the thing where he rides his age in miles every every day on his – on every year on his birthday. So That's he's pretty cool. Do, yeah. He's a cool old dude. Yeah, and I, I just double checked it. The eleven fifty cassette is four hundred grams, and it, I think that's right. What XTR weighs? God. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's about what the. You might be right, actually. No, X it 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 doesn't matter. <laughs> Long story short, is generally SRAM makes a very very light cassette. So if you're looking to build the lightest shit in the world, but you like something, for example, like Di two then you can do a mismatch there and it actually works pretty damn well. Yep. Yeah. Generally cassettes don't care what derailers you have. Like you can mix brands of cassettes and derailers and they, they mostly work. Okay. Yeah. All that except campy, but this is not a road show and we're not talking about campy. So <laughs> <laughs> Campy's going to come out with mountain 13 speed and that's going to be their only mountain group. It's going to be like electronic wireless 13 speed mountain bike group. I want it to be electronically actuated hydraulic 13 speed. And the and and it will cost $12,000 for for the group. No brakes. <laughs> All right, I have uh, a, and, Go yeah. ahead. It puts the derailleur on the uh, left side of the bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well I have a closing rant. Okay. I rode the new Rotor Uno hydraulic shifting system for road bikes and yeah. I would prefer to ride Tiagra 4603, which is like the new Tiagra that looks like 11 speed ergonomics, but it's still 10 speed shifting. I would yeah. rather ride that shit that had been crashed than the rotor uno set. Like a set of the old Tiagra. That's like, no, no, the, the calls are starting to wear no, out the newest Tiagra that they make right now. Okay. So it has the nice ergonomics of the 11 speed stuff. But it's just 10 speed. I would rather ride a Grupo of that that had been crashed than to ride the Rotor Uno. It was it was awful. <laughs> like on a scale of one to ten, with five being the worst, it was a five. <laughs> on the JRA scale of one to ten, with five being the worst. Yeah, exactly. 
that's all I got. <laughs> awesome. Just heavy lever feel and not crisp and the derailleur rubbed, you said? Yeah, so also, quick tip, don't bring a bike to the bike shop to show it off uh, and then have a front derailleur that rubs. Um, you're going to put your weird wiggle rings on shit. You got to make sure that the bike actually works when you bring it to a bike shop. Uh, it wouldn't shift the front chain rings. And I get it, that's just setup. But also, when I shifted the rear, it took like an amazing amount of hand force to shift it. Um I can guarantee that arthritic people would not be able to ride that bike. I think it'll be, I mean, I'm glad they make that because it means that in the future, um, other, yeah, it's just like with disc brake drop bar bikes. It's like, I don't think that right now, this instant, they're awesome. I think in the future, they're going to be lighter. They're going to work better. You're going to have a more even lever feel, um, and they'll be cool, but right now they're not there yet. I think that's kind of starting out in that direction. Like there are some good possibilities when you talk about hydraulic shifting, you're talking about, you know, a system that shouldn't get fouled up, um, something that should be, you know, just lower maintenance in general, maybe the maintenance it does require is a little more complicated. Um, but you know, you can bend the hydraulic line however you want. So you know, I think it's cool that they're doing that. Um, it sucks a little bit that it's not that great. But, you know, once some bigger companies with more money get behind something like that, I don't think SRAM, SRAM, will, SRAM will because they're, uh, you know, they're all about the wireless now. Um, so between hydraulic and wireless, I mean, it's cool. There's other stuff besides cables. you got wireless, you've got hydraulic kind of uh, starting to work its way up there. So I, I think that's neat, and uh, I hope it goes somewhere good. Sure. Or it just sucks now, and no one's ever going to use it, and, it, you know, it'll just I wonder die. whatever happened to – who was that other manufacturer that made hydraulic uh, shifting and had two lines like per Box? shifter? A-Cross. Yeah. Acros or Acros. Oh, know yeah, that. yeah. <clears throat> They it was fail. super expensive. Have you ever ridden that stuff? I've always wanted to try it, but I never rode it. I've shifted it before, but I've never ridden it. Did it like kind of work okay or no? I mean, I did like one of those little inner bike, like fake bike display shifted it. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Um, no, I mean, and to, to further the thing with the, the rotor thing, when asked about bleeding it, how do you bleed it? The answer was you don't have to bleed it. I mean, so I started tuning out then, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm you pretty sure. Do anything. Pretty sure you got to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, these lines like, are routed through this frame, so you definitely bled this motherfucker. So how do you bleed it? Like It's like, you know, the uh, it's it's one of the Saturday Night Live skits. They There's like the dude who's like, I'm pretty sure. I don't. It's on the, the weekly news thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's good. It's funny. Like five people are going to laugh at that, even though you guys have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> so is that a show? Show. All right. That's show. a show. Thanks for listening. Until next time. I whipped mine out and he was like, yeah. And that's Andrea referencing her vapor trail cap. Yeah. <laughs>